Hey, Travis Rogers here. When you're not listening to me on the Lakers pre- and post-game shows, tune in to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, where she goes beyond the play and focuses on athletes, fans, and the biggest events that inspire and shape our community. Listen to The Experience with Laferne Cusack, Sundays, 5 to 6 a.m. ESPN LA 710. Welcome to The Experience here on ESPN LA 710. I'm Laferne Cusack talking about stress in the holidays today with Dr. Harding Young, a family practice physician located in Linwood. Dr. Young, welcome to the show. Good morning. Happy to be with you. Tell us a little bit about your background. I know you you, uh, went to Morehouse. Yeah, correct. I'm a Morehouse man, went to Morehouse undergrad, uh, finished in 1981 and was uh, happy to be accepted into one of the first four-year classes over at the Morehouse Med School. So I've spent a lot of time in the uh, the Morehouse experience. Yeah. T- can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Oh, sure. I was uh, raised on the campus of the Atlanta University Center. My mom taught at Spelman, and my dad was the uh, dean of the School of Business at wow. Atlanta University. So as a young man, I grew up on that, that campus and... Uh, actually went to nursery school that my mom oversaw on the Spelman College campus. And uh, just trekking around there as a little boy with my siblings, uh, thought that that was a wonderful experience seeing the college students uh, matriculate through those universities. And when it became my time after high school graduation uh, to go to college, Morehouse was number (laughs) one on my list. (laughs) Right. What a legacy. You were born to go there. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And uh, it helped that I could go to Morehouse for free since my mom was teaching there. I could go there for free and uh, deal with my mom and dad and buy me a car since uh, <laughs> I didn't have the the college tuition bill. So that worked out real well. It was a good deal. Now, what <laughs> what made you choose specifically to go into health? Well, I grew up in a situation where I had the exposure to some wonderful uh, physicians, men and women who were integral in uh, the startup of the Morehouse School of Medicine. Dr. Louis Brown was one uh, who had the first idea of uh, starting a med school that would serve the underserved. And uh, I grew up on a street and in a neighborhood in southwest Atlanta where there were many, many prominent physicians and a little hospital that was called Holy Family Hospital at the time. It's now Southwest Community Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, anyway, moving forward, I had the exposure of being able to see these men and women in their trek through serving mankind as physicians. Right across the street from me was a Dr. Bernard Bridges, who was a a wonderful internist who took care of us and just watching his family life with his his sons and watching what he did for many prominent people in the Atlanta area. It gave me a wonderful exposure to uh, the service of medicine. And and looking at him and also looking at my own uh, family and their aspirations towards higher education, it gave me the sense that I could find myself in a career in medicine and and Morehouse was the right place for me and the place that led me towards wanting to find myself in a career in medicine. The Morehouse School of Medicine, how do you think that prepared you for what you're doing today? 
Yes. Well, Morehouse School of Medicine has as its mission serving the underserved. And the School of Medicine was developed to put primary care physicians, first contact doctors, family practitioners, internists, pediatricians, and, and obstetricians into areas where care and the access to care has or has been limited. And uh, Morehouse School of Medicine today has the number one position or ranking in its social mission in putting doctors uh, out there who will do primary care in underserved and rural areas. And sticking with that mission, I wanted to make sure that I found an area that was underserved that needed me and that I needed to go ahead and fulfill that mission. So I came to uh, California to Martin Luther King Drew uh, to do residency in family medicine. And from there went on to serve as a health care officer in the jail systems and to start my practice in Linwood, California, which is down in South Central L.A., as many know, to, uh, to continue uh, the mission of Morehouse Medical School. Did you have any mentors? I know you, you say your mom and your dad. Did you have any type of mentors to help you navigate? Totally. Uh, you know, my son is a, uh, a first-year student at Morehouse Medical School as we speak. <laughs> and in, <laughs> in, in talking to him about how I became a doctor over the years uh, and in and, 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 uh, uh, just letting him know how I became a physician, I, my retort to him was that medicine chooses you, and I really feel that medicine chose me. And I say that firm because when I was in the 12th grade in high school, I suffered an acute appendicitis. Uh, I came home one day, and uh, my belly was hurting after eating, eating some Church's fried chicken with those delicious jalapeno peppers. Oh, yeah. And, so, <laughs> and I thought that I was suffering from indigestion. Little did I know that uh, that evening while playing basketball that my pen, appendix was becoming inflamed. And when I came home, my mom looked at me, and she said, oh, you don't look so good. You should go down and immediately go to bed. Well, when I did, I laid down in bed and I immediately felt better. Well, little did I know that my appendix had burst. And in the morning when she came down to wake me for uh, school in the morning, she found me drenched in sweat and in a semi-comatose position. Well, she rushed me to that little hospital that I talked about, Holy Family Hospital. And at Holy Family Hospital, I was met by one of our family friends, one of those physicians that I had exposure to, a Dr. Lee Shelton. Lee Shelton was the head of the emergency room. He examined me and immediately told my mom that I needed to go to surgery. Oh, wow. Well, I did go to surgery, and after coming out of surgery, I awoke two days later. Oh, my goodness. And two days later, I opened my eyes to see my mother above me who thought she had lost me. I had tubes in my nose and tubes in my stomach and so forth and so on. And uh, four weeks later, after recuperating from a terrible hospitalization, two surgeries later, operated on by a Dr. Clinton Water and a Dr. Densler, I emerged from the hospital 55 pounds lighter. Oh my 
in my 12th grade year and was still able to graduate from high school. Long story short, the doctors that operated on me, Dr. Clinton Warner and Dr. Densler, took me under their wing while I was in the uh, hospital and let me know when I recuperated that I could follow them and shadow them in my trek through Morehouse towards medicine. And being in and around and near and exposed to these physicians as well as many others and my mentors at Morehouse had formed my path to want to become a physician. And that's the way that medicine chose me. And now you mentor as well. And you have a love as well for football and for a game. So how do you choose to mentor? Yeah, you know, I I had the opportunity to work with uh, Dr. Ross Miller at um, at uh, St. Francis Hospital, a wonderful surgeon who has a very marked history here in Los Angeles. If you don't know the name Ross Miller, Ross Miller was one of the first doctors to reach Bobby Kennedy when Bobby Kennedy was shot at the Ambassador Hotel. Well, Dr. Ross Miller, a renowned trauma surgeon, was one of the premier surgeons at the hospital that I served at St. Francis to this day. Mm. And Ross Miller was a big sports advocate, a proponent of football, boxing, and the like. And we used to sit around and talk to each other while watching these football games. And he came to me uh, one day and said, Harding, that I can no longer serve as the, the consultant for the Linwood High School football team because of his health and asked me if I would take over. That was way back in uh, 1992. And in 92, I took over for him as the varsity football consultant. And I've had a wonderful experience in talking to the young women and men on the football field at Linwood High School to just try to give them some exposure to what it is that we do in medicine at St. Francis and at the same time gain the confidence and relationships of of persons who want to look further beyond the the walls of South Central L.A. to see what, what they may have an opportunity to do. So I brought in many of my colleagues to try to help to give these young men and women some exposure in the field of medicine through volunteering in the hospital, as well as different other activities down at uh, St. Francis. You also help, is it correct that you help on the sidelines as well with the athletes? Yes, I'm on the sidelines at every home game to uh, monitor the football uh, teams, uh, both the the defending and uh, opposing team uh, to make uh, sure that they're well throughout uh, the the game and uh, have had the opportunity to uh, bring in trainers and the like to uh, help them with uh, the pre-taping and pre-game preparation as well as a a good pre-meal program and to uh, speak about nutrition and diet and the like uh, in the weeks prior to the game. So I've had that experience experience, which has been fantastic. Now, with that, do you incorporate how to manage stress with the athletes? Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm there for them to, to know that I'm there for them mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, to know that they will be well taken care of if anything untoward should happen. We, we really have uh, discussions mainly that have to do with, with uh, you know, just who they are and who they want to be. And I think with young people, uh, we as mentors uh, should do that. And then 
listen to their specific questions and find out where they are, whether it be uh, their performance in football or their performance in the classroom. And, of course, in knowing and understanding where one has been, and stress and anxiety are always a part of that, let alone, you know, some of the other things that may enter the picture, particularly with younger people, uh, um, you know, gang activity, sexual experiences, drug use, so forth and so on. Those are all components of of what it is that we would look for to be able to help to give appropriate guidance at the appropriate time. And so to talk about, you know, specifically uh, dealing with stress in general, the, the, the larger look is at that, there's a, is that that child and what that child or young man or young woman might be going through? Yeah, I had on a, a guest uh, a couple months ago talking about she was an instructor and she had a lot of athletes in her class and they would come to her asking her for help, you know, outside of, you know, the coach or the team. I think it's, great to have that type of support that is not like in the inner circle, but on the outside to get a different perspective of what they may be going through. Totally. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not an educator per se, but in just having the experience uh, there at the high school, I can see where it is so important from the principal to the counselor, to the uh, custodian, to all take their appropriate role in helping to shape students' outlook and helping to keep them in line and helping to keep them moving forward towards uh, the ultimate goal of completing their their education in high school. And there's so many things that are uh, involved there as we all well know in the in that we've yes. gone through it yes and you know yeah definitely I know I I wish I I wish I had you when I was going through and going <laughs> in college and graduating you know all of that you know yeah well, you know it's just so important looking at a family when you walk out of the 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 door of your home or apartment and when you walk out of that door to know that there's still family uh and mentors that that care for uh us yes. that really care for us when we walk out of of our front door that that I'm going to walk into another door where there's somebody who who appreciates uh what it is that we're going through to make sure that we get to where it is we want to go. Right. And especially like being an athlete, being a a scholar athlete, I say scholar first because, well, for me, I think it's education first and then, you know, sports afterwards. And yes, I'm saying that on ESPN, but I, I do think that there's, we have an obligation to our students for them to have a great education and then combine that with sports there's also an extra layer to that when you are a scholar athlete, when you have to go to practice, you know, sometimes athletes are going to practice like so many hours a day and then they have only like two hours to study and then they have to go to their classes and all that stress added onto them really changes the a mind of an athlete to have all that on their shoulders. 
Well, you know, I I I wanted to be an athlete. I'm I'm six four and uh, six four and three quarters. I like to say almost six five. And I I played basketball, but wow. football wasn't for me. <laughs> I spent a, I spent about two days on the football field, and after having a young man who was about five foot eight, all muscles, knock me down and step on my wrist. I, I said, nah, this is not for me. <laughs> but <laughs> I was able to go and excel uh, on the basketball team to uh, be a backup center to a guy who was 6'10", who, wow. who, was not as, who was not as good as me, but he was taller than me and, and more menacing in, in his look. But uh, I'm more like Ferdinand the Bull. <laughs> Uh, who was who wanted to smell flowers? Right. But uh, I, I had to come off the bench to him. But uh, <laughs> my son uh, played football for four years for UCLA, and my daughter uh, and my uh, wife was a cheerleader at UCLA. So they were much more athletic than myself. But just watching my son uh, uh, matriculate uh, Loyola High School and be a star football player there and gaining a scholarship to UCLA. He had what it took. Yeah. But uh, I watched him and his uh, schoolmates uh, uh, matriculate that situation and manage Division One football with their studies. Wow. And uh, one in particular who is now or two in particular who are star football players for uh, the Minnesota Vikings on the defense uh, who were on my son's team. And then watching my son who suffered two serious injuries, a shoulder as well as a knee injury, and have to back away and take a medical retirement in college Mm -hmm. and change his major three times. It let me know and see firsthand that... uh, yeah, that things do change for our students and our athletes, and you are exactly right that uh, that uh, collegiate uh, uh, football or basketball or tennis or track or golf experience can be extremely stressful for those who think they want to move that way professionally, and it can detract from uh, what they're able to do in the classroom. And I mentioned this because my son was a, a, a straight-A student at Loyola High School, which is one of the premier college prep schools in the, in the city. Mm. And he went to UCLA, and although he did very well in his studies, he balanced uh, uh, football with his studies at UCLA, thinking that he possibly wanted to choose medicine or have medicine choose him. And he's done quite well after graduating in business and in sales, thanks to Rick Neuheisel and also mm. Jim Mora and a, and a program called Athletes to Business. But he's done quite well, and you know it. It just takes a, a whole lot of of persons to encourage and keep our our student athletes moving forward uh, when they decide for themselves or are deciding for themselves exactly what they want to do. And the athletes to business that is so needed in our time. You know, how, how many athletes have you seen go from? you know, being a star athlete in the NFL or NBA to being bankrupt, you know, because they don't know how to manage their money. Exactly. Exactly. And, they, you know, it's the same way with uh, with with most professions. Uh, and I'll make a comparison between 
physicians and and athletes and most persons who are highly uh, uh, involved in what it is they're doing, we we still need uh, mentorship mo- moving forward in 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 the careers that we choose. So uh, you know that and and not having those resources can bring about stresses and anxieties as well too. And uh, you know we can look at our 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 pro athletes our our uh, entertainment figures, but as well, we can look at our physicians, our business persons, our teachers, and the like. There's, there's sometimes not the resources out there that, that we need for proper guidance. We see so many different uh, advertisements on TV about managing wealth, but uh, mm-hmm. but it costs to manage wealth, yes. <laughs> and, and, and we may not have the uh, ability or facility to to pay the cost to manage even a small amount of wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This is ESPN LA. I'm Laferne Cusack speaking with Dr. Harding Young. He's a family practice physician located in Linwood. Now, Dr. Uh, Young, so talking about stress and the athlete and you know, them having a lot of stress trying to deal with everything that they have to deal with in life and in, you know, working on on and off the court. Throw in the holidays. Why do you think the holidays is so such a stressful time for many people? Well, when we just look at the time continuum alone, and 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 I don't know your age, the firm, but but I'm in my 60s now, and my mom and dad used to say to me that the older you get, the faster time will move, and they were exactly right. And when we look at the time continuum, there's only so much time in a day, there's only so much time in a month, and there's only so much time in a year, but time gets even shorter as we get closer to those special holidays because so many uh, persons and uh, situations and the like come in to impede upon the time that we have to do what we're normally doing. So when you throw in that shopping, that Christmas party, the acceptance of relatives, the spending of money, the the colds, the flus, the, the accidents and these things, it brings about an inordinate amount of stress that is smushed in, is smushed a word, yeah. <laughs> is closed in yeah. into that shortened period of time anyway. So when we normally are navigating our trek from sun up to sundown, and then you're thinking about trying to do all of those things that that are coming about during the holidays, accepting the family members into the home and relatives and non-relatives and those people you didn't expect. Wow. You, you can just imagine the uh, the amount of anxiety and stress that that can bring about. Yeah. And so would you say that that is more of a mental thing that goes into a physical thing within your body? Well, you know, mind and body are one. And uh, it all starts. Uh, with upstairs, when I say upstairs in in the mind, you know it all starts there when when one starts to think about 
things that might be overwhelming and and uh, physical symptoms can easily be displayed with stress anxiety headaches increased heart rate uh, stomach ache bowel problems uh, that can things that can lower immunity and bring about colds things that can prevent us from dealing with things in a healthy manner. If the individual already smokes or has trouble with alcohol or drugs or the like, those kinds of things can then be uh, compounded uh, with increased stress and anxiety with an individual trying to cope. But whether it's just that cold or flu or whether it's, uh, you know, a couple more glasses of wine at dinner and and lack of sleep or oversleeping in all of those things become components of the uh, exhibition of uh, stress and anxiety. Mm, sounds like you have a camera at my house seeing what I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Honestly, I did I listening to you I'm like, "Oh my gosh. Yeah. I guess I must be stressed out. I need to I need to meditate or something and chill out. Well, there you go. There you go. It's all in how we cope with it. It's all in how we deal with it that that moves us back into the the healthy lane. Yes. And so, you know, moving back into the healthy lane, we got to think about, okay, wait a minute. Hey, let me just take a step back and let me think about how I can deal with what's coming up. Okay, if I know I want to do that party, okay, would it be just as successful if I do that party for 20 rather than 50? Or can I do that party for a a a a, a couples kind of thing rather than trying to invite everybody that I know? Right. So if we can move things back towards what it is that we can manage, then we can deal with this stress and anxiety and cope a little bit better. Right. And, yeah. Yes. I had a mentor who always said, stay where your feet are. Stay where your feet are. (laughs) But Uh, we are so prone to thinking so far in advance that that causes overwhelm and stress. Yes. Yes. I, uh, uh, speaking of, of of your mentor, I, I had a, an uncle. He was actually a cousin of my mother's, and I called him my uncle, a retired Army uh, sergeant. And uh, he uh, housed me when I first came to L.A. And when I came here, I didn't have a car to be able to get around. And he picked me up from the airport, and then he told me when he took me to his house, he said, okay, the metro system is here. At that time, metro was just the bus line. And he said, hey, the bus line is here, and I'll give you a schedule, and you can get on that bus and go wherever you need to go. But I'm not driving you anywhere. And when I used to go to him to ask him to take me, he would say very facetiously, oh, no, oh, no. I cannot take you. And he would say it even louder and more flamboyantly than I'm saying it to you, but I don't want to blow your listeners out of the water. But then he would come back to me about 30 minutes later after he looked at his schedule of things that he had planned for him. And then he would say to me, okay, I can take you, but only inside of this window. Well, what that taught me was that, first of all, it's okay to say 
no. It's okay to say, look, let me wait and see if this is something that I can do, mm-hmm. which alleviated stress for him in, in him thinking about how he had to change his plans. So if we think about what our plans are, and that's not being selfish, we think about what our plans are first, then we can say no, and then come back and reconsider if we can accommodate the wishes of others. And I think that that's particularly important at the holidays. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and then with stress, I always heard like, well, if you have stress, you know, you you gain a lot of weight. And then it's like, well, how's that happen? But I mean, you talked about that when you have stress, sometimes you overeat. But is there something in your body that, you know, I'm trying to think about all these commercials that are here uh, that I, I watch. You know, well, you have yeah. extra such and such that causes belly fat if you have stress. <laughs> You're thinking of cortisol, oh. yeah, the hormone cortisol, which is raised at the time of uh, a stress naturally by our body's endocrine system. Well, that 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 cortisol and and insulin and and like are are, are hormones that. Uh, can cause us to uh, increase weight, but it, yes, you know it's natural. It's a physiologic uh, situation that 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 does happen, but it it's not going to happen in the morning, and you're going to gain five pounds by the <laughs> evening <laughs> because they're trying to sell you something. So you have to remember that too, and that can bring about a lot of stress too when you see things over and over, you know, on TV or hear it on the radio or in social media or the like, which will, will, will cause one to think that, oh, maybe I need to do this too. Maybe I need to buy that too. Maybe I need to go there as well. Well, you know, one has to be oneself and know one's own limitations and then uh, proceed throughout the day in an organized way to uh, to, to know that you got a list of the things you you're going to do or you want to do and do what you can and deal with uh, what it is that you did not complete uh, in the next day in time. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, don't worry about having to buy that belly fat reducing <laughs> <laughs> medication that may or may not work. <laughs> but uh, do, do your own, do your own jumping jacks and sit-ups and, right. and stretches when, when you get out of bed so that, uh, that you, you will feel better as you, as you go on your daily trek. Dr. Young, have you seen like more awareness to mental health in your practice? Have you seen people more open to that rather than taking pills? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I think that we're in an age of of holistic medicine, and I was uh, interested in holistic uh, medicine before even uh, starting med school to look at ways that we can do for ourselves before we feel like we need to uh, take a pill. You know, in, in, in medicine, in this day and age, there are so many things that are preventing us from being able to sit and talk to one another, doctor to patient, patient to doctor. We're having to use computers and all sorts of technology which are getting in the way of direct eye contact, doctor to patient. But the real medicine comes with conversation before examination. 
And if we really listen to our patients concerning what is, is happening with them, we may be able to write a prescription for exercise, write a prescription for counseling, write a prescription for other health avenues rather than writing a prescription for appeal because that's the easy thing to do. And I think that is one of the reasons why we suffer from the crisis with opioids, uh, addiction, and uh, uh, the like. And and there's, sure, there's lots of, of depression that has gone undiagnosed. There's lots of anxiety that have gone di- undiagnosed. Not to say that, that uh, medication is not appropriate for those entities, but there's also... Uh, counseling, there's also exercise, there's also in other engagements that we can participate in that may lead towards that healthy lane along with uh, medications that can be prescribed. I just said that, you know, I was going through a lot of stress and I'm like, oh, I just really feel bad. And I was like, well, I haven't been able to work out and managing you know, I have a six-year-old at home and a husband and then work and then work and then work. I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to have time to work out. And then I, as I was lying in bed, I I was like, Laferne, you just need to wake up earlier and take your butt to the gym so and work out and then go to work. And then um, I started doing that and I feel so much better. <laughs> well, I was talking to... Uh... One of my physician colleagues uh, on the phone just the other night, and he's an avid uh, rock climber and and uh, athlete, and his wife is actually a uh, world class bodybuilder, and and he helped her with her career in in bodybuilding. And I asked him, how do you find time to do what it is that you do, uh, as well as help your wife? And and he told me that uh, well. Um, he had to incorporate what it is that he wants to do physically with what it is that she wants to do physically. So there are always things around them that they can immediately engage in in the form of exercise. So I think, you know, I'm I'm not a gym rat myself. (laughs) I I don't even think I've ever been to a a fitness (laughs) gym. (laughs) But the first thing I did when I, uh, I, I, uh, moved into an office building that would would facilitate that was to buy a stationary bike and to put some uh, uh, stepping blocks and a couple of push-up handles in there so that if I had 15, 20 minutes or so, I could walk in and and do those kinds of things because uh, my patients want to know that I practice what I preach. And, uh, you know, I'm not the healthiest guy in the world, but... uh, but at least I can demonstrate what it is that needs to be done to try to keep one going at, at 60 plus years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that is like, so I started off, okay, I said, okay, I, I need to go to the gym. But I started off just getting up and walking around the park. You know, I'm in North Hollywood, yeah. you know, just walking around the park. And then I come back. You Maybe that's a half an hour or 45 minutes. And then uh, I just gravitated toward, you know, the gym and, you know, getting trainers there. I have shout out to my coaches. Uh, But it's like, it's like, just start off with 15 minutes. You know, it's okay. Just walk. 
just, you know, enjoy yourself. But it's nothing that is too overwhelming. But once you start going and start doing it, like you say, get up, you know, do sit-ups or get up and, you know, try one or two or three things. That will get into more things for you. Yeah. Well, my exercise prescription is, is, is an, uh, I bring it down to under an hour. I say 45 minutes to an hour, five times a week, a brisk pace, 45 minutes to an hour, five times a week at a brisk pace. And if you're not sweating, you're not effective. So if there's, there's got to be some some sweat, there's got to be some increased heart rate, and you got to do it for at least 45 minutes, whether that's running or walking briskly for 10, walking slowly for five, and then picking it back up and getting that heart rate up and down. That'll that'll do it. Mm-hmm. Take the stairs instead of the elevator, all those common sense things that we hear all the time. But, you know, we can work as hard as we want with exercise, but we can't do more than we can do by what we we do with our elbow, and by that I mean lifting that elbow to put something in one's mouth. <laughs> so you can work as hard as you want with your exercise, but you can do much more with the diet, and you can do do much much more with the two in, in combination. Right, and you know, be yeah. real realistic about your goals and your schedule and all of that. What about? I know that you do a lot with the elderly. Can exercise change how older uh, individuals navigate in the world? Totally, totally. There's a old saying, you know, body in motion stays in motion. You got to keep it going. And I have persons, uh, I think one of my oldest patients is about 102. Wow. Most of the patients, <laughs> most of the patients that I serve are, are, are north of 55 and many are in their late 70s and 80s and 90s. And many are still very, very active. My mom will turn 96 on the 18th of this month. Now, she suffers from arthritis, but she's still a, a, a good and quick of mind. But uh, she, uh, she didn't start to suffer problems until she had a fall. And that's the biggest thing we want to prevent with our elderly is falling because a fall can be life-threatening, let alone uh, um, life-altering. So what we got to do, you know, when we start to feel those body problems that we have, and for some people that starts in their 40s, 50s, and and 60s. I have my own myself. But uh, what, what we have to do is try to continually overcome those uh, problems that may lead to muscle weakness and imbalance, and uh, that can start in the in the head as well as uh, in in the limbs. And when I say in the head, I'm talking about with uh, balance and and proprioception. Proprioception. That word means how we feel ourselves in space. And and if you stand and you close your eyes and you seem to drift from one side to the other or front or back, that means that there may be a problem there. And so when we can right ourselves, when I say right, when we can hold ourselves uh, straight and true and strong, then 
that might mean that there's less of a problem. So when you feel that there may be a problem, then we got to start working on those muscles or that nervous system or organ system uh, that with balance and proprioception, we may need to start working on those things to strengthen those things. A lot of persons who are aging suffer from something that we call vertigo. Vertigo is a situation where you close one's eyes and then open them or close them and feel that the room is spinning around you. A lot of my patients complain about that when they waken from the bed and look up at the ceiling and feel that the room is spinning around them. And someone who has had a a night of partying and revelry and and, and the use of different substances may feel that too at an early age. But uh, elderly can suffer from that problem just from aging. And uh, we, we need to look at the, the problems that may bring that about. But when those things happen, we have to be aware of the risk risks that an individual may be at for a fall and then try to do things that may, may bring about uh, a heightened strength to those limbs, to those extremities, those muscles that, that may be weakened so we can help to prevent them from having a problem down the line. Yeah. So have you seen uh, someone who is elderly that has very limited mobility? Have you seen someone f- going from that state to you know, maybe walking for 15 minutes or you know, exercising? to where they have more mobility mobility and reversing the age effect. I don't know if that's possible. Oh, well, you know, you can certainly reverse uh, uh, weaknesses. And, you know, if that muscle can move and, and that limb and joint is intact, uh, you know, with or without surgery, sometimes those, those, those things can definitely come back. I can't think of the... Uh, lady's name who was uh, uh, who's touting her uh, uh, successes at, at reversing the, the clock as you put it right. who's been on the uh, Steve Harvey show and others I know you know who I'm speaking of I, I, I know she was featured I think this, this lady is about 78 years old oh, if not yes, older who, yes yes I, yeah. I looked yeah. her up <laughs> yeah <laughs> I can't think of her name, but yeah, those things are real, and I've 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 seen uh, evidence, uh, and and she's extremely inspiring because although she's done what she's done in 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 a very athletic way, Dana, there are Dana the, Delaney. There are sorry about that. <laughs> ah, very good. Yes, there are people who are looking at her. My patients who are looking at her, who are wanting to do. And, and emulate what it what it is she's done in some form or fashion. So the answer to that is absolutely positively yes. Um, I teach what is called uh, chair exercises, and if I can get an individual to sit in a chair with their that has arms on it, with the back of the chair against a wall for support, that allows their legs to to come down at near a 90-degree angle. By that, I mean can't do it from the sofa or a soft sofa where your buttocks is lower than the knees. Mm -hmm. The buttocks has to be at the same level of the knees. And then 
to uh, try to move from that chair without using the hands, to stand up without using the hands, come to a standing position and then sit down without using the hands, that can strengthen the hip muscles, the flexors of the hip, as well as the quadriceps muscles of the thighs. Those are those big, strong muscles that come down to the knees and below the knees to allow one to stand, as well as the muscles in the lower leg. And if we do things moving forward and then do things moving backwards, by that I mean standing from that chair and standing up and then attempting to try to sit down without letting the buttocks land in the chair, you're basically doing a semi-squat. You're doing a squat that an elderly person can do. And I've had more success in strengthening the lower extremities of my elderly patients by having them do that just while they're sitting in front of the TV. And if they can do that about 10 times at a time, moving forward and then moving backwards, it amazingly changes the strength in those those lower extremities in, in a relatively short amount of time. Okay, so with that, we you touched on... Also, like the mental health or asking for help. So if we incorporate, you know, going out, working out, doing some exercises, you know, staying healthy, getting enough sleep, what is the other component to that when we may need to reach out for help? Learning how to say no and learning how to say yes. Learning how to say no to those things that you know you can't do. So if you know you can't do it, I say, hey, be facetious like my my Uncle Charles. Yeah. Oh, oh, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Oh, no, I just can't do that. And then rethink, of, rethink it. But learning also how to say yes. Say yes to those healthy things, that good diet. Say yes to that that good exercise. Say yes to those people who ask you if something is wrong and you know something is wrong. And then say yes to moving towards getting the help that one needs. Let's, let's talk about how people think about people that may have passed away and therefore that brings a, a lot of depression and stress around the holidays as well. Do you talk about that to your clients, Dr. Young? All the time, every day, and you're exactly right. You know, holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and the like, when there is a loss, you can expect that there are going to be individuals who will suffer from um, um holiday depressions, situational anxieties, and the like. And and the good thing to do um, as a physician is to try to make note of those things and remember those things. And that's one of the wonderful things about family practice. I get to know my patients, not as just patients, but as family. And uh, I can oftentimes remember when a gentleman or lady walks into my office who's who has had a loss and that loss was at a particular time and this is one of the good things about the technology that we have we can make notes to ourselves concerning those things which may lead one to ask about that first 
rather than just ask about the normal things that we would be asking about or or the traditional things that we'd be asking about on a patient visit, their medications, their blood pressure, their blood sugar, and so forth. But if you can start the conversation with, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I remember that you lost your wife at around this time of the year. Tell me about how that's affecting you. When a person knows that you care, they usually will move towards the position of 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 a happy state rather than of a saddened state and it's it's remarkable when you can see that someone knows that you're interested in more than what they're actually there for but they're there for their total health mind, body, spirit, their total health. And when you can have those types of interactions, it can help to lead one away from a a, a state of grief towards a, a, a leaving that experience in, a, in a, a, a more healthy and happy place. Yeah, that is so true. When my parents passed away, my, my dad died first and then my mom and I guess I don't know how many months later or whatever. I had a doctor's appointment and I was just talking to the doctor and then uh, she was asking me questions and uh, she was like, sounds like you're depressed. And I'm like, what? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, I, it never dawned on me, you know, that, that, that I may be, you know, going through something mentally. Because I just, yes. you're just in, you're just in it. You're just like, you know, rolling. Okay, yeah, I lost my parents. Okay, you know, I'm coping, you know. And then after you're out of the depression, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, I feel much better. I didn't even know I was depressed, <laughs> you know. Well, that that's that thing, that time, that's that time thing again. That's that thing that will play tricks on us. Yeah. That's that thing that, that gets more compressed the older you get and then you try to fit so much more into it that we might not recognize those uh, concerns that may be causing for the stress and anxiety that we're talking about. It's all that compression that we try to squeeze so much into to make sure that we're taking care of everything that we need to take care of. And, uh, you know, it always comes back to self. We got to learn how to to not only see the flowers, but smell the flowers, and not only smell the flowers, but take time enough to see that bee that may be coming by to pollinate the flowers. Mm-hmm. So we got to really, uh, you know, stop and value that moment because in that moment you can take so much in yes. and not realize how much good what we're taking in is giving us in that one moment. Right. Dr. Young, a lot of people, yeah. people talk about, well, and I, I just mentioned it, coping. But when you're coping, doesn't that mean that you're not really dealing with the situation, dealing with, you know, your sadness or is it is that a ty- uh, type of blanket over the underlying source of the, the problem? 
Well, I look at it like this. I think coping can be likened to standing on that high board. The first time you were on that springboard, before you jumped into the pool, and you got up on that high board five or ten feet above the swimming pool, knowing that the water was below, but still feeling that anxiety that would lead one to taking that jump. So we got to cope. If we're on that board, we can either climb back down and take the risk of climbing back down to, to safety on the other side of the pool, or we can accomplish our goal by either walking to the end of that board and just stepping off and then coming up another time and springing off mm. and then coming up another time and making the most beautiful swan dive yeah. that one could ever make. Yes. So we got to cope. That's the coping. Okay. The coping is in how familiar we become with handling a situation. And not ignoring it. If you go through it, it's more, I think, I feel it's more courageous and it helps you more than just ignoring it and going around the problem. Because if you go around the problem, there'll be more problems. Exactly. Exactly. And if you want to be that expert diver, you got to dive, you know, <laughs> exactly. if you want to be it, you got to dive. Right. And then when you come back off the other side and you tell your mom and dad or your coach that, I'm sorry, I just couldn't do it. But you know, you want to be, you know, Greg Luganus. Yes. At some point in time, you got to, you got to jump. Exactly. <laughs> uh, do you find that? Older people have less anxiety? Well, you know, I, I, I don't know that. That's a, that's a good question. But in my experience, what I've learned from our seniors is that if you have less time to worry about things, <laughs> you'll, find, <laughs> you'll find that you want to spend more time in a peaceful situation. <laughs> right. And, 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 and when was the last time you saw a 80-year-old trying to make Christmas dinner? <laughs> the 80-year-old the, the 80 will head to the 50-year-old's house and sit down and eat dinner. <laughs> we'll, comp we'll complain about it and then head to a comfortable place on the couch to take a nap. <laughs> I remember um, I was... Uh, I was talking about something and stressing out, and my my friend who's m much older, she looks at me. She's like, "Wow, I don't even think about that stuff anymore." Lafern, when you get older, you know your life is going to become mo so much more easier because you're not even going to care. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever. I think that's exactly right. <laughs> that's why we can learn so much from our seniors and just watching them and how they. They they <laughs> just move move across the continuum at this point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yep. So so, uh, Doctor Young, how do you see yourself navigating through the thickness of of life? Well, I've got the best of both worlds. Um, I always wanted to be a musician, but I as well wanted to eat, <laughs> and so God called me to be a physician to bless me with the opportunity of being
being able to have a vocation which does allow me to eat. But as a young man, my dad introduced me to music, and I thought that after listening to some of the most wonderful musicians on the recordings that he gave me, that that would be something that I could do as well. Well, I was pulled towards medicine, but at this point in my life, after uh, 30 years of practice, I've gained the opportunity to meet a number of wonderful uh, musicians who allow me to spend time with them in lessons and in practice and the like. So I'm now the physician to the musician. Oh, cool. And from <laughs> from that, over the last 10 years, I've been able to start up a little ensemble, the Gentleman's Ensemble. And uh, I've, I have a pianist that I've played with for the last 10 years, and we bring in other uh, men and women to participate in, in uh the different occasions that I get an opportunity to do. So that's my therapy. Mm -hmm. Music is my therapy. And I'm able to go out and usually have the opportunity, particularly at this time of the year, to do different dinner parties and and, uh, corporate uh, occasions. Mm -hmm. And it lets me get up there and and sing and play and dance. And and uh, that's my medicine. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. And do you know, like, well, music also has healing properties. I was reading an article just the other day about that. Like, music can change your mood and, you know, activate things in your mind that can lead to a more healthy lifestyle. No doubt. I'm right there with it. And hopefully I can do more of that in my retirement because uh, my musician friends who are professionals tell me, Harding, you're getting better, but you still need a lot of practice. <laughs> yes. Never give up, right? <laughs> yep. Medicine and music are that, yes. a practice. And you never can 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 uh, become expert in any one, but they both have been done since the beginning of time. And uh, I, I enjoy both. And uh, I just uh, thank God that I've had the opportunity to do, do both. Well, I thank you so much uh, for you sharing your stories and your expertise with us today. Well, the first thank you so much. And, and uh, anytime, I'd love the opportunity again at any time that you need me. And let our listeners know if they would like to get in touch with you or find out more about your practice, how can they do that? I'm Harding Young. I'm in Linwood, California, and I'm at 310-631-2660. I can be found on the internet, yes. Harding Young, MD and Family Practice. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Harding Young, a family practice physician located in Linwood. Thanks again, and happy holidays to you. Thank you, Laverne. Same to you. This is ESPN LA 710.